Some people change. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you have the power to change? Remember last week we talked about not behavior modification, but spiritual transformation. And today we're going to look at self-talk, how we speak to ourselves. And at our surprise, if you're joining us online uh, this week, we're glad you're joining us, but it's just not the same as being in a room. Uh, I love worship. I love the worship set today, Dan. Thank you so much. I was watching the snow fall on the trees and the slides. I don't know. Man, that was, I mean, that's just like being outside. I was talking to somebody that visited Florida over Christmas, and I said, are you glad you're back? (laughs) I think that's so great, don't you? Hey, if you're a Hoosier, this is no big deal. This is nothing, right? Amen? Right. This is just part of it. We're a four-season people. We're an all-generation church and a four-season people. Now, if you're you're on us online today and you're down in Florida, and I know some of you are, hi, Mom and Dad. Uh, weather's sunny and 75 here. Wish you were here. If you're in Canada, <laughs> I won't even talk to you guys. I don't know what, uh, why we have a Canadian crowd, but I love you. Go Canada. And I mean, I love the maple leaf. If I was wearing a maple leaf in Israel this last uh, <laughs> this spring, and they all thought I was Canadian, and they treated me really well there. So, <laughs> And if you're out of California, and I know some of you are, uh, it's about, what is it, about 8 a.m. this morning. We're glad. I hope you have a cup of coffee and you've had your Cheerios, Okay. But today I want to ask the question, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Everything about that. And remember I talked about the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 and last week and said, what I would do, I do not do, but that which I would not do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of sin. You relate to that? I do. And I struggle, and I'll bet in some area of your life you do as well. So think about this. Do you almost always, when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, do you just jump out of bed with a big smile on your face to say, good morning, world, and you hit the bathroom and you start your day in a wonderful way? or Do you almost always hit the snooze button once, twice, three, four times, and then when the Spirit moves you, you get out of bed? Or, hey, do you almost always, when you're out at a restaurant, you look at the menu, you go for that GF, that is what is good for you on the menu, that chicken or that baked or broiled fish and salad and vegetables like you're supposed to eat, or do you almost always get what you want to eat, which is fat and fried and buttery with a lot of gravy? I heard an amen. That's wrong. 
I'm preaching to the wrong crowd today. How about when you, when you, do you get, do you almost always, when, when you get paid, do you almost always put back your, your gift to the Lord and, and put your, your savings in the bank and then you live just a little below and you always end up with having a little bit left over? Or do you spend all you make in, put some stuff on the credit card, and you just almost always need a little bit more. What is your almost always? Why do you do what you do? Why? Why do you do what you do? Here's some secondary reasons of why you do what you do that are valid, but they're not the primary reason. Let me give you a few of the secondary reasons. First of all, you feel obligated. You just, you, I just need to do this. This is what I do, and this is, I just feel like I have to do that. And then there's a, you want to do. I just want to do this. I just want. And I don't know what that would be and what I'm talking about for you. I know, for me, I feel obligated to do certain things. I know that there are some things I want to do. I want to be here with you. I really do. I love this. I love this time with you. Or, you. or you do it because you want to be accepted. You just want to be a part of the crew, a part of the group, a part of that peer group that you're in. And, and that starts from the very early ages of being wanted to be accepted in your family and then your peer group and then your work group and then your neighborhood and all those things. But what's the biggest reason you do what you do? Here's what I want to propose to you. You do what you do because of what you think of you. You do what you do because of what you think of you. What goes on in your head. The proverb writer writes it this way in Proverbs 23, 7. He says, for as he thinks, for as a man is in his heart, so he thinks in his heart, so is he. The Bible says what you think is what you are. So I want you to ask yourself three questions. And if you're taking notes today, which I hope you are, and if you're online, you've probably already given up by now. But if you are, I want to do this kind of slow because there's a lot here. Three questions. First one is, what type of person am I? Now, for you that are very young, you probably don't know what type of person you are. You may not know or may not understand, but for us that are chronologically challenged, who've been around a little while, we kind of know who we are, or at least we know who we are by what we do. What type of person am I? I'm the type of person that doesn't really like hugs, but I got hugged twice by the same guy up in the balcony because he knows I don't like hugs. And yes, I will go back up there again. (laughs) I knew I'd get that reaction. And and what kind of situation is this? Well, you know, I become a hugger when I'm at a funeral. If you've lost a loved one, I'll probably hug you. I won't like it, but I will. Because of the situation, of the circumstance. Going through a tragedy, I'll probably give you a hug. That's what you need. If you don't want one, if you give me one of these, no hug. What kind of situation is this? What does someone like me do in a situation like this? 
Sometimes I'm okay with that. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I wish I would do something else, but I do what I do because of the way I think. What kind of person am I? What kind of person are you? Because you do what you do because of what you think of you. If you want to change what you do, change what you think of you. That's where change springs from, from that self-talk, from that self-image, from that identity that Dan was talking about this morning. But here's the deal, and, and we know this, and we see this all the time. It is easier to believe the negative than positive. Negativity and a negative statement, you, it, it takes four to five times positive to overcome a negative. You know people that are negative, that they, they, when they come in the room, they suck the air and the energy. They take it to an all-time low. I've seen it in groups when you're trying to move a group in a certain direction. Those negative people can just halt all momentum and movement. Same thing's true in your life that negativity is overwhelming in your life, you're not going to make the moves. You're not going to make the changes. I've read over and over again that you need to get rid of the negative influences around you. Separate yourself. They're holding you back. Here's the question. Why do you often believe bad things about yourself? Why do you believe that negative self-talk? And let me propose an idea that I think is biblical, and it simply is. The, the devil is a liar. I'm not lying to you now. The devil is a liar. And in fact, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, but it's true for us in this context that we're talking about today. John 8, the Apostle John, eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, longest-lived apostle, primary source for Scripture, he says it this way. This is what Jesus said. Now, now this is Jesus addressing the Pharisees and the Jews. He said, you are of the father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the uh, beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Now, if you ever want to influence some people around you, just tell them that your father is the devil and he was a murderer and a liar and so are you. That didn't have the impact that I thought it would when I delivered that. Are you surprised? If you want to antagonize someone and create some animosity, obviously say that. But Jesus, in this moment, was telling the truth. When he lies, when the devil lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is just doing what he is. But then Jesus goes on and he says this, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. You believe the devil, but you don't believe me. We need to reverse that and believe the truth. When you do something that you're not proud of, what do you tell yourself? Do you tell yourself you're bad or that that you did a bad thing? You see, the devil doesn't tell you you did something bad. 
That's not what he tells you. The devil attacks your identity, and he says, not that you did something bad, but that you are bad. Bad to the core, bad to the bone in a negative way. And then he follows it up by saying, you can't change. You are just the way you are. And I hear people say this. I hear Christians say this. Well, that's just the way that I am. No, that's not true. You can change that. And the problem is that your distorted identity starts to sabotage your success. Let me say that again. Your distorted identity starts to sabotage your success. That's why when we start New Year's resolutions, that typically by the second Friday of January, it's, it's over. Because our distorted identity. You see, your distorted identity creates destructive habits. The way you think about yourself. And then your destructive habits reinforce that distorted identity that you already have. And so it kind of is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So so the question should should then be is, well, how can I stop this destructive cycle that's sabotaging the success and sabotaging my life? It's simply this. You change what you do by changing how you think. It all starts here. You see, you're not who the devil says you are. You're not who others say you are. You are who Christ says you are. Amen? You are who Christ says you are. And here's the difference. A Christ-centered identity leads to Christ-honoring habits. And then Christ-honoring habits reinforce a Christ-centered identity. So when you make the right choice and you follow after Christ, then it creates a Christ-centered habit, and it just cycles around and around and around. And so it feeds on itself. But when we make that destructive choice, it goes the other direction, and it's a destructive choice, and it results in a destructive habit and goes the other direction. So I want you to think about this. Let's think of a day in the life of Jesus, okay? 2,000 years ago. Now, I want to look at a modernized version of what how it would play out today. And I want you to imagine that you were back at the Sermon on the Mount on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and it's really a nice day, kind of a Florida day, where it's sunny and 75, and and you're kind of below altitude, so it's kind of warmer even than that, and there's a breeze blowing, and you're looking out over the Sea of Galilee, and the master teacher is preaching and teaching you. Can you imagine? And people, you know, you've got you've got Simon Peter who's doing a podcast and and giving a play-by-play of how you should lead like Jesus and live like Jesus and become a fisherman like me because you got to be a fisherman to follow Jesus. And you got some of the other apostles that are posting on Instagram. You got some people that are taking selfies with Jesus because who would not want a selfie with Jesus? Amen. 
You got people post, posting on Facebook. You got a Facebook event. You got, you got it live all over the world. Now, is that the way Jesus operated? Absolutely not. It was personal. It was healing. It was touching. It was talking to the crowd, projecting his voice without any microphone. I can't imagine speaking to 5,000 people or 15,000 people on a hillside. It was dusty and dirty. There weren't any porta pots like a big concert. He wasn't a rock star. He was just a well-known rabbi that people were attracted to. And they brought the sick and the hurting and the helpless and the impoverished to him, and he touched them. And by the end of the day, he was exhausted. And at the end of the day, for Jesus, he didn't veg out on Netflix or Prime or have a little, you know, he didn't make a little wine and, you know, sip it by the Sea of Galilee with his bodyguards and entourage around and protect him from the crowd. No. Do you know what Jesus does at the end of that kind of day? He goes to the Mount of Olives, 330 feet above Jerusalem. He hikes back to Jerusalem, basically to the Mount of Olives, and he separates himself. We had a little uh, devotional day with our men's group in between services out in the foyer today, and we were talking about this. And we read, I think it was John 8, and what was fascinating about it was that Jesus intentionally put himself in a place away from people, a place of rest to rejuvenate and to to kind of reset and to spend some time alone in nature. And I, as I was reading that and as I'm preaching this, I'm thinking, I don't do that. I don't do that enough. I run to the very end of physically, mentally, and emotionally, then I'm kind of a grumpy old man. And then I want to veg out on something. But what does Jesus do? Here's what he does. He goes to the Mount of Olivet, and here, here's some pictures from the Mount of Olivet. If you see down here, you're going to see the largest Jewish cemetery in all the world that even existed during Jesus' day. There are about 70,000, they estimate between 70,000 and 150,000 Jews buried there. But he, up on the mount, he could oversee the city of Jerusalem. The, uh, the Dome of the Rock was not here, the Muslim, and, and the Wailing Wall was there. But a lot of this wasn't here. And, and can you imagine on the, on, looking to the west in the evening and seeing the sunset over Jerusalem? That's where Jesus went. And here's another picture of uh, of the Mount of Olives. These are olive trees down here, and just beautiful. But I can imagine Jesus taking himself away. What did he do? Luke 21, 37. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but not at night. Where did he go? He went out and launched on the Mount called Olivet. That's what he did. He, he separated himself. He rested. Luke twenty two thirty nine, And he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. That's where he went. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to pray 
on the Mount of Olivet. He prayed. That is where the reset, the recycle, the rejuvenation, the revival occurred in him to be able to take on that next day, to do the ministry. Nothing else will work. That's how we're designed. He gave us the example. So how do you change? You start with the who before the do. The who before the do. And instead of focusing on what you want to do, decide on who you want to become. Who do you want to be? Here's some options. These are just some ideas. Who do you want to become? General. I am a mom who is fully present and wholly intentional in my life. I want the kids to remember me being present with them, not busy around them. I'm a teenager who's found purity in Christ and doesn't want to look at porn. I'm a man of God who will lay down my life to serve my wife and my children. I'm someone who is sober and is a testimony to the power of Christ to change a life. Those are just some general ideas of who you want to become. It's personal for you. Who has God created you to be? Here's some who who do I want to become specific ideas. I'm a person who doesn't skip workouts because I believe my body is the temple of God. I'm a Christian who reads my Bible every day because I believe that there's life in his word and I need to hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. I'm a person who puts God first in my finances because I believe he's my provider and he will take care of all my needs. I'm a disciplined crook. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. And I'm going to act accordingly. James Clear wrote the book Atomic Habits a few years ago, and this is what he says. He says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. You see, the devil tells you who you are, just who you are. Only you are a sinner that can't change. That's what he tells you. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, no single action changes your identity. No single action. But multiple actions over time form your identity. So it's not one mistake. It is being stuck in bad decisions that form habits that become destructive or or making good decisions and forming good habits that give life and build a life. Changing how you see yourself eventually changes your identity. Because it's not behavior modification, 
It's spiritual transformation. When Dan says at the end of our service today, the church is now leaving the building to guide people home, leading them to a loving father, caring family. But the last is a life-changing faith. It's not about behavior modification. It's about life transformation. It is about God changing us by his grace. So I want to remind you just who you are. And maybe you've forgotten. Do you know who you are? According to the word of God, which, by the way, is our first value as a church, we believe the Bible. The Bible teaches us you are a new creation in Christ. You are God's worksmanship created in Christ Jesus. You are the light of the world. You are an ambassador of God, the highest ranking diplomat sent by God from heaven to earth. That is who you are. Not what the devil, you're not going to believe what the devil says about you or what you are or others say you are. You are what you think you are. And you are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. He's given you all you need. His grace is sufficient for you just like it was for the Apostle Paul. You are a child of the living God. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are chosen. You are called. You are set apart. You are filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That's the truth. And anything else that is negative comes from the devil who is a liar. And the truth will set you free. (coughs) Some people change. But the thing is, you need to decide inside yourself what God is calling for you to change, what he's wanting to transform and form in your life. And so as I close today, I'm going to pray, and I want to ask you to stand, and I want to ask you to raise your hand with me. If God is convicting you, if the Holy Spirit is moving you, that means that you need to stand up now, congregation. And and. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes and not cheat. And if God is calling you to change, just like he's calling me to change, I want you to raise one hand, okay? And I want to pray for you. Father God, as we approach this new year, not knowing what is going to happen, but you know everything that is going on. And Father, as we approach this new year and as we think about uh, what, what you are calling us to do and what you are calling us to change, we just ask, Father, that you give us the grace, the power, the spirit, the ability to do what you can do and only you can do. And Father, I pray that you would form in us a new identity that, that, that is based on your word and not on negative self-talk, not, not on what the devil says we are, but who you say we are. And Father, that in that identity, we will form new habits, that we will make the right choices, that we will become what you desire us to be, that others might see the power of God in us, your power in us, 
and that it would be a living testimony of the work that you can do in every one of us and anyone who calls on your name. Father, just now we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. And Father, we just rely on you to do your will in us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning? Thank you.